Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And, as always, you can follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, September 29th, soon to be Wednesday, September 30th. And we're actually talking football. Can you believe it? OMG. What a do, baby. What We're a back. do. <laughs> uh, it feels pretty good. I mean, you know, I know we got all hyped up and excited last week, but I, I think this 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 week like kind of made it real for me. And it may have been because the SEC was playing. Yeah. And I actually watched like some games that felt like they might matter a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that was really refreshing. That was honestly the first college football I had watched all year was last weekend. I would tell you that it became real to me because we started prepping for the podcast. We haven't done that in months. That is also very a very good point. Possibly the best point you could have made. Yeah. So um, shout out to that. And <laughs> with, so today we're going to take you through some position previews. We're going to give you an update on um, some things that happened last week, like Austin said. Um, some upcoming games to look forward to as you ease your way back into the college football uh, season like we did. And then um, we're going to talk a little uh, non-con hoops schedule. Yeah. So we're, we're loaded. We're, we're just, just fill it up, baby. Um, we've got it all. But yeah, I think let's let's start with what the people want. I think the first thing we should start with is the position previews. Um, so we kind of we did one for the quarterbacks last week, basically established that it's, it's kind of Rocky Lombardi's job to lose at this point. But, you know, his either success or failure will dictate potentially uh, Mel Tucker's first major decision as um, Michigan State head football coach. These two positions that we're going to preview today, which are running back and wide receiver, are areas that if you go up and down the MSU depth chart as Mel Tucker, you probably looked at and actually felt pretty okay with depth wise, all things considered, you have some actual, uh, some real talent actually at both of these position groups. And it's so easy to be so doom and gloom as MSU fans, but um, kind of taking a fresh look at this roster for the first time in a while, it, it is the, the cupboard is not, as bare as some would probably have you believe. So we'll start here with Austin. run. Yep. Go ahead, John. Austin, let's, let's expound on that analogy. The, the cupboard is not bare. Sometimes coaches walk in to cupboards that have spoiled food, rotting things and 
Yeah. Sometimes like a mess. And sometimes there's nothing inside of it. I would say if you were if you were Mel Tucker and you walked in and opened the pantry to Michigan State football, this shelf, this specific shelf of skilled players, you you were feeling okay about the food that was left behind. You would you would consider eating this. You would yeah. like you would even like it. You would You're be like, you know what? The, the last chef, the guy who lived here before, you he might have known how to cook a little bit. Like, you, you know, no, no, no Bobby Flay, but he might have known his way around the stove. Uh, the knew, ingredients here seem like they put something together. He knew how to make a very specific dish, and these <laughs> were the ingredients. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we talked about quarterback being a question mark. The good news for Mr. Tucker and his run first uh, time possession offense is that he has his bell cow running back. Yes, indeed. Something that uh, Mark D'Antonio in his time always wanted uh, and and at times had yeah. the, Jer- the Jeremy Langfords, the Le'Veon Bells, um, even Edwin Baker to a degree. There's a handful. Uh, but his latest one here was uh, Eli Elijah Collins. Um, he did a really good job taking taking over the position last year as a, I believe, as a redshirt freshman. Really kind of burst onto the scene. Ended up right around 1,000 yards uh, as a freshman, which, again, considering the fact that Michigan State's offense was not exactly record-breaking a year ago, um, is actually pretty impressive. He got about as close as you can get with 988 yards, averaged a little over four a carry, and ended up uh, in the end zone five times. Um, I think the biggest number here that I would expect to say relatively similar was the attempts that he got last year. He had 222 carries. Given what we know about or expect Mel Tucker's offense to look like, it would be a surprise if he is under 200. But based on kind of, again, stick with the analogy, the the fullness of the cupboard, um, it may not be 222 like it was a year ago. Hopefully it's less, hopefully it's more efficient. Um, but there are some other guys here that are really, really talented that we saw do some really nice things last year. You know, you mentioned uh, Elijah Collins had 222 attempts. Uh, that would be good for third most in the entire conference last year. Um, and and you mentioned he had a pretty decent um, yards per carry at 4.5, especially when you consider how let's say, put it really positively, uh, lacking or trying the offensive line position was. So there's a lot to like about the fact that Eli Collins and his uh, has a lot of carries left in him um, and had almost 1,000 yards, which, which for, for what it's worth, was fifth most in the conference behind some pretty good dudes. You may remember the names Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins, who are uh, – we're making money right now, I believe. Yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, so, pretty good. So, so it's not so crazy to say that, you know, Eli Collins is one of the best, not just running backs on this team, as we all knew, but perhaps one of the best in the conference um, as a true yeah. sophomore. Yeah, and you, you saw him do a lot of, again, we've, we've said it kind of ad nauseum already, but you know, behind a less than stellar offensive line, you, you saw him do some impressive things. I think the vision was there. He's a 
big dude, so he's willing to run people over. And you got to think that that's the type of attitude that, and just like play style that um, Mel Tucker is going to want to see out of his uh, bell cow here on the, um, you know, in the upcoming season. So super exciting uh, having Eli Collins. I mean, that, that for a team that wants to run the ball and work off play action, having a guy like him is it's tough to put a price on just how how big of a deal that is. Now he's going to get keyed on when he's running the ball. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they use any type of split back look. And if they do, how much Anthony Williams Jr., another sophomore, a true sophomore, is involved in that split back look and kind of what he does. Because he, he appears to be the odds on favorite to be the, um, the kind of the spell back. You saw him last year. He's a little bit of a smaller guy, caught the ball pretty well out of the backfield. Uh, he ended up, it looks like, yeah, with just six catches, but those six catches did go for 77 yards. He popped a handful of decent runs as well. Um, the numbers, honestly, not all that outstanding when you look at them on paper, but I think what you saw from a young true freshman, again, in a not stellar offense, is enough to give you hope that this this is the type of dude that can bring a different type of dynamic to uh, this offense, especially if they're going to be throwing the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. You said he he's a spellback. I I wonder if he's going to be a, a running back that this coaching staff is willing to give entire series to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, much in the way uh, you may, we may have seen in past Antonio years, where maybe the third offensive series and or fourth offensive series, you might see uh, a different running back coming for the entirety of it, or at least until the first uh, handful of first downs. Knock on wood. So, <laughs> well, John, hey, hey. hey. I know we're optimistic here, but first downs, I mean, let's let's keep the bar low. New regime, you know, hope is high. <laughs> new year. We're going for first downs this year, guys. <laughs> Big new year, new me. Offense, <laughs> trying for it. Um, but but the other guy, which is an interest, he was in an interesting position, um, Brandon Wright, a guy that we had an eye on when he first committed to Michigan State, if only because he was one of the most like interesting recruits MSU had had in that he was 6'2", like 220 pounds coming out of high school. He had no real junior stats and yet got a scholarship offer from Michigan State, which he honored as he got more offers as his senior year blew up. The reason he didn't have any um, carries, if I recall correctly, is the kid in front of him set like state records in Ohio for for rushing did not uh get d1 offers it was a really small guy like i think that's the story yeah i remember that i remember yeah, that and brandon well. right you know just i mean take that news for what it is right he he didn't play till senior year um but he's just such a big specimen he's what he's what you want with a running back as far as size goes um maybe not as shifty but you know, is this a goal line back? I don't know. Um, we don't really know what we have with this kid. I don't think anyone does. Yeah, I, I, but I think when you look at kind of that three-headed monster, now there are some other names that we want to talk about, including one that is near and dear to this podcast heart. But th- that's probably your main stable as running backs go. Those are your three guys that are natural uh, contributors out of out of the backfield. And I think what you like to see is kind of like the diversity of skill set. I mean, we just described three very different types of contributors and runners out of 
a position that is going to be emphasized by Michigan State. And I think, you know, knowing that and kind of understanding, again, what what they're going for as an offense, you have to come away kind of encouraged. And, I, you know, depending on the, uh, you know, creativity of a Jay Johnson offense, which I think th- that's really what this boils down to because the talent's there. But it's all about how are these guys going to be utilized. If Jay Johnson is is the least bit creative or willing to you know kind of go deep in a playbook, create maybe packages for certain players, things of that nature, um, he's got certainly a, a Swiss Army knife amount of guys to to do this with. So it, the potential's there. Whether they you know whether they utilize it or how they utilize it is is probably going to be the biggest storyline and the biggest thing to watch for MSU as we watch this whole offense unfold. And speaking of Swiss Army knives, you have a guy by the name of Connor Hayward, that, uh, boy, what an offseason for Connor. I'm uh, smiling ear to ear right now. It's, it, the, the big boy bandwagon has been uh, about to fall off the tracks many, many times here. Uh, if you remember correctly, Connor, you know, obviously he's, he's gone from everything from being the starting running back to being benched in favor of Elijah Collins to – uh, putting his name in the transfer portal to taking his name out of the transfer portal to now seemingly being, you know, kind of like the good citizen and excited to be part of the the new regime. Um, needless to say, a bit of a whirlwind. I think and then, the, go and then add in that, that their season's not happening and it is, and then it is, right. and then it is. It's like snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap, 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 snap. What? You know, are we going to vasectomy three vasectomies? Um, <laughs> are we going to get to see our big boy bandwagon leader carry the ball this year? We don't know if it'll be carrying the ball. We wonder if he might be moving positions. So I think this is one of the more interesting things, maybe not one of the more interesting things for everybody, but one of the more interesting things for me uh, yeah. will be t- to see if he can kind of fulfill his destiny as an H back. It's kind of what he always should have been. And had he gone to another school that didn't need a running back so badly and force him into that position, which I think everybody can admit. I mean, shit, if I can admit it, then everybody should be able to admit it. Not his natural position. I think it was pretty obvious. Um, but he has a skill set that is still so unique. I mean, he has one of the better sets of hands on the team. He can block. He's huge. He can Now he's very comfortable with the ball in his hands. Like... This is this is a, an asset. Now again, to to see how it's utilized is a whole different thing. I've always said that a creative offensive coordinator could do wonders with Connor Hayward. I, I think that the the things that they can do out of a play action game, gadget passing, and the the cruel irony of this whole thing is it the way that Trevin Pendleton was used at Michigan State way back when is exactly how Connor Hayward should have always been used. And maybe this is the regime that recognizes, hey, we got a guy that can do a lot out of the backfield that we feel comfortable have, who has the experience. We feel comfortable asking him to do a lot of different things. And, you know, maybe this is the year he finally gets to shine. But as a true running back, I'm not sure that that is necessarily like what's in the cards per se for, for our boy Connor. I don't want to, the, this podcast to be the podcast that cried wolf. Um, last week, we, we may have added fire or gasoline to the fire of the rumor that we may have started that Rocky Lombardi will become a, Is a tight end. Um, well, I Connor see. Hayward changed positions. Um, 
Who's to say? We're to say. We are us. We're in charge. Yeah, this is our podcast, damn it. Um, yeah, but I do, I do genuinely believe that I think his days as a pure running back are, are for all, if he wants to play, are for all intents and purposes uh, over. Um, but, you know, I hope this team doesn't try to get, if they're going to move in positions, I just really hope it stays on offense because he's, he can contribute a lot. And moving him to any other, you know, if they wanted to flip him to the other side of the ball or something like some people have have speculated or floated out there. I just think it would be a, an immense waste of talent on a roster. While, like we're saying here, does have offensive talent. Still, there's no such thing as too many playmakers. So I, I, I think we should take what we can get. I'd like to take a moment <laughs> to laugh about the fact that every time Counter Harewood would touch the ball the last three years, your <laughs> Twitter your Twitter mentions would absolutely blow yes, up. With 100%. people just being like, hey, Austin, did you see it? I, I got the tweet, are you okay, after he scored for the last three straight years. Like, it's been – and I don't think anything would got more interaction than when he entered the transfer portal. Like, I, I had people genuinely reach out and be like, are you all right? Like, are you going to are you gonna make it? Well, you know what? Yes. The answer is yes. Um, a friend of the pod. Um, Indeed she is. <laughs> She she loves she loves our Connor Hayward tweets. So one one more year, you know, a victory lap. Okay, I, I think we can all agree we would love to see Connor become a weapon here and uh, kind of get unleashed. So we're we're all on the same page there. But that does it for the 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 running backs. Now I think another feature of uh, an offense that that is dying nowadays across most of football, but has been alive and well in in East Lansing for some time uh, is the fullback. I don't anticipate that changing, which is probably one of the only coaching moves you could have made that's going to keep a fullback around. It was hiring Mel Tucker and, and Jay Johnson. Um, now there are a couple guys, a couple names to know. And again, this is, this is under the assumption that we're not looking at Connor Hayward as a full-time fullback. We're looking at him something in, in, in the gadget realm. Um, but the two names to know are Max Rosenthal and Reed Burton. Uh, who knows how often they will be used or what will be done with them. But again, not to spend too long here, because frankly, we don't really know what we're talking about with these guys. But um, these are probably the names to keep an eye out for at the, at the fullback position. Now, I will say, again, if Connor Hayward does is sort of unleashed, if you will. Um, you know, it's possible that he gets a lot of snaps at fullback. Maybe doesn't do as much blocking. Maybe does a little more pass catching and, and brings in a different dynamic there. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him start stealing snaps from people if they're serious about using him as, as some kind of weapon. So Reed and Reed Byrne and Max Rosenthal are listed as tight ends on the MSU website. But I'm not going to give up the dream, man. Don't do it. Because and I want everyone to consider the progression in the backfield, right? You have the center, and then you have the quarterback, you know, 25%, and then you have the halfback, 50% or so, and then I guess behind him is the fullback. Now, if there was one behind the fullback, I guess you would call that the overflow back, the super back. Like, but it's we're past full. So I'm thinking in a glass. <laughs> so we've overflown, saturated. And Max Rosenthal would certainly qualify as an overflow back because this 
man is 6'2", now 270 pounds. Oof, thick boy, to say the least. (laughs) That is a large human to be toting a pigskin. So I am just incredibly interested in the idea of Mr. Rosenthal running the ball. I I just say I'm all for it. Yeah, you've got your goal line package pretty sorted out. I mean, your jumbo package is, is really come to life here between Connor and Max Rosenthal. Like, it's it's going to be fantastic. I would say behind – so college football Twitter – college football Twitter's favorite play universally on offense is the wheel route. Oh, absolutely. I would say the second favorite is the fullback trap dive. Yeah, I think the favorite formation is just the I formation. Mm-hmm. But people like go nuts when there's a wheel route or when there's a half or a fullback dive for like five yards and everyone's like, oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> what a bunch of masochists. Just a bunch of insane people rooting <laughs> for the most boring thing ever online. I, I like, couldn't love it more. Like at least the wheel route has an opportunity for like points. The fullback dive is a play that you call knowing it's not possible to score unless you are within three <laughs> yards of the end zone. Like uh, yeah, you could say there's there's limited upside to so a fullback. Full ceiling on this play. Yeah. <laughs> this can literally only go so far. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. But I sure do hope it happens. I would love, oh, man, a, oh, a Connor Hayward wheel route for a touchdown might just, I might never be able to tweet again. I might just... Cease, cease to live it just might end me um, your twitter account to the uh, online rafters yeah i think i would i would just tweet out uh the marshawn lynch retirement tweet of just the cleats yeah like he did which is fully just for the record how i plan to retire from twitter if and when that that day does unfortunately have to have to come and real life has to start no. um 100 how i'll do it well that's how i'm gonna do it when i retire from my job <laughs> a thousand years from just now. Just an email? Well, obviously just or an email. Slack. No, <laughs> I'm clearly not going to give him the courtesy of like two weeks. No, I'll should just expect it. I'm just going to take a, a take a photo of my shoes and yeah. <laughs> say I'm, like I'm hanging them up. I'm out of 5,000, bro. Um, <laughs> I think that's genius. So that's that's pretty much everything for the running backs. Wait, um, did you talk freshman running backs? I didn't. That's a, See, it's still the preseason for us too, John. There are some freshman names to know. Um, I think, again, this is, this is actually a, a pretty solid, talented group uh, of upperclassmen, but there are two names to keep an eye out for, one really in particular um, that I think could be – could be legitimate contributors for Michigan State this upcoming season. And that's Jordan Simmons and Donovan Eaglin. Now, I would say I'll start with Eaglin because he's probably the the less likely of the two to get minutes. But the same way that we talk about Audric Esteem, the new uh, MSU man-child recruit from New Jersey, Eaglin is not far behind him just in terms of sheer man size. Uh, he checks in, I believe, at 5'11", 226 pounds. He's running back from Texas. Um, that's big, uh, especially for an 18-year-old. So, you know, in terms of his his uh, style, you could describe it as physical. Um, and I think that, you know, another physical runner certainly wouldn't hurt. Uh, he's definitely going to be competing with 
um, you know, a couple of people for snaps. But I think the freshmen this year, honestly, between him and Simmons are going to have a really unique opportunity. Like I said, obviously, you know, a lot of great snaps coming back from the returners. But it's a new coaching staff. Like, this is a whole new regime. These guys are getting, like, there's no real preconceived notions from a new coaching staff. Like, you have the opportunity truly to to earn your spot. And if they think Eaglin or one of these guys can, you know, show something and bring, you know, maybe something that one of these upperclassmen doesn't, they're going to get the opportunity to play. So Eaglin, again, big physical runner. Um, the big one, though, and the name that I, I would not be surprised at all if he pops up and steals some carries is uh, Jordan Simmons. Jordan Simmons somehow ended up, I believe, only as a a three-star, but he's a 5'11", 192-pound running back. Uh, that's what he checked in at anyway in his uh, high school days uh, from Georgia. Now, he had, I believe, a pretty darn good offer list. Yeah, let's see here. His offer list is actually – this was the part that you kind of makes you really excited um, he has offer, had offers from Arkansas, Colorado, East Carolina. So those are kind of the boring ones. And then Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Michigan, Mississippi State, Nebraska, Pitt, South Carolina, Virginia Tech, West Virginia. And interest from a bunch of other SEC schools, including Ole Miss and Auburn. That's not a joke. Like, especially for a skill position player, that is a really, really, really impressive list of offers. So... Uh, this kid is coming in. Yeah. Again, three stars. Okay, fine. But he, he is hyper talented and I would not be surprised. Actually, if I were to pick an, an immediate impact player on the, on the offense that as a true freshman was going to get the opportunity to play, I think Simmons might be my pick kind of regardless of position, because he, again, coming in with a fresh slate, he is the type of athlete measurable, measurable wise and speed wise that, you know, uh, Tucker has been recruiting and looking for. He stuck with his recruitment through Mel Tucker being there. He was a priority to keep around when um, he came on board. So, again, I, I will not be surprised, especially, again, if this offense is as run-heavy as we think it could be, there's going to be carries to go around, and I will not be surprised if he gets some of them. That's that's interesting take. I have a uh, different freshman to keep an eye on, but not <laughs> in the running back area. So. Okay, let's go there. Well, that takes us to the wide receiver group. Sure does. Perhaps the most uh, talented and deep uh, group that Mel Tucker has inherited. And as we broke down uh, the position groups, uh, we sorted them into the the X, F, and Z um, wide receivers just for ease. But, But keep in mind that we don't know, I guess, all the offensive packages, you know, what a five set looks like you know if that's even on the table so <laughs> a lot to learn but what we do know is that while we say this is a deep and um, talented group really in terms of catches and touchdowns they're not so it's right. what it's an interesting um you know, juxtaposition because i'll start with uh trey mosley he's a guy that didn't even play until the m- mid-season last year and then when he did he really showed up in the box score. So um, I don't know if you want to let, talk a little bit more about our friend Trey, uh, the, the true sophomore. Yeah, I mean, I think just to take a step back and talk about your point in general, um, you're absolutely right. 
I mean, it, it is this interesting juxtaposition where I agree with both of your statements. It's a, probably one of the more talented groups on the team. And I don't necessarily know that that's like indicative of a lack of talent anywhere else either. I think it's just a really talented room. Um, it's crazy. It's, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Michigan State's better recruits were actually wide receivers recently, which is kind of insane. But um, you got a bunch of really good skilled players. But at the same time, that production in Daryl Stewart and uh, Cody White, which is a, a lot of production, is all gone. So there's certainly more opportunity, not a lot of proven um, talent here, but a lot of talent, to say the least. But actually, in some ways, there is more proven than you'd think. I mean, we go through the names. First, you talked about Trey Mosley. I mean, Trey Mosley, among these guys, um, is the returning uh, no, I'm not playing with a slinky, John. You texted me. Is something wrong with my mic? No, it just sounds like you're playing with like some poker chips or something. Oh, no. No, could just be something clicking around. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. Editing at its best. Um, but, yeah, Trey Mosley led the team in terms of returners. Uh, he led the, the returners. He's the leading returning um, receiver, but he only had 21 catches. But like you said, John, all 21 of those came in uh, just the last five games. So he actually ended up not redshirting um, in, in one of those classic D'Antonio, you know, decisions to not redshirt someone when they probably should have. Uh, <laughs> but he he is coming back. He, he's I mean, I, he was one of Lewerke's favorite targets down the stretch. I think that says a lot for a true freshman, especially when you've got those other really talented guys that that were around, even if there were a few injuries. So uh, Trey's certainly a safety blanket of sorts for the quarterbacks that are that are going to be playing this year. But I think the real exciting part of this talent comes with the F position, which is Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed. Now, they're going to find ways to get both of these guys on the field together. Just because they're listed at the same position, maybe even on the depth chart, I wouldn't read too far into that. I don't think that is going to be um, something that, that keeps these two off the field. So for a refresher, Jalen Naylor, uh, I think he is he's a junior now. Maybe he even got the chance to redshirt last year because of injury. But he is probably the most explosive playmaker on the team. I mean, his nickname Speedy for a reason. Problem for him has just been staying healthy. Like he his... Um, his hamstrings, as with, you know, will happen to runners somewhat frequently, uh, just kind of shut down for him a couple of times. But, um, you know, if he is able to be healthy, he brings a vertical, uh, a vertical presence to your offense that is just really like special, like genuinely special on, on any real team. He's the type of like speed athlete that th- that type of speed plays anywhere. It, mm-hmm. it could be anywhere. He, he brings an element that you just – you didn't have a lot at Michigan State in the last however many years and um, w- would bring an element to this team that I would I would argue they, like, desperately need. So they need – he might be the guy that you look at that you're like, okay, we need this guy healthy more than we need anybody else healthy. Would you agree? Yeah, dude. I mean, like, this is a kid that made an impact right when he hit campus. And it's – like you said, it's he has a – he is playing at a speed that very few in the country can. Um, I would say he's the most explosive player since Keyshawn Martin in that Mm. this guy is a game breaker, meaning if he gets open there, no one's catching him. And we haven't been able to say that about 
any MSU player in some time, um, you know, <laughs> and that's, you know, it's just, this guy's got top end speed. And like you said, he gets banged up and he was, he was just undersized um, maybe for big 10 football. Hopefully that changes now because he it changes the entire dynamic of the offense. Yeah, I it mean, does. I mean, it changes the way defenses line up when you have somebody like that. And, you know, as much as we all joke about hating the jet sweep, he was so successful. Yeah, he's really Rocky. good at it. <laughs> he was so good at even to the short side. He was able to, um, I believe in the w- one game, he just flipped the field. Like said, the short side, this was a bad call. I'm just going to stop <laughs> and go the other way because it's basically like playing against seventh graders, you know, once he's in the open field. So I can't say enough about this. And I think my favorite part about Jalen Naylor um, being on Michigan State's team is that no one in the conference seems to remember he's on the team and and his ability because his stats um, people when they sort by you know catches um, yards it he's never going to qualify because he didn't play enough reps or games but we know that this is one of the most talented guys in the entire conference um, and I frankly cannot wait for him to see a full season um, of health. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a great summation. Like, MSU just needs him. He's a game changer. And I think they will have the players. I think maybe what happened, like, listen, I, I'm not going to besmirch Cody White or Daryl Stewart. Those two guys are, you know, for better or worse, you'll remember part of an era, uh, kind of the, the closing stanza of the D'Antonio era. Those guys were major portions of it and that includes the 10 win season you know the the holiday bowl victory when they were they were huge i mean daryl stewart's reputation for tough catches obviously won't be forgotten and 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 cody white had some some memorable ones as well um but uh neither of them were Jaden reed who is going to be um, a bit of a revelation, I think, for MSU fans in terms of supporting receivers. Uh, I mean, this guy was a freshman All-American with Peyton Thorne. Well, no, yeah, no, at at Western Michigan. Um, He played high school football with Peyton Thorne, I believe. Uh, MSU is probably going to be their third string quarterback this year. Um, But this dude had almost a thousand yards receiving as a true freshman at Western Michigan uh, transferred to MSU just a year ago, had to sit out last year and man, could they have used him? Um, He is kind of your complete slot receiver. He's got decent size. He's built like, like a, a true big 10 athlete, not necessarily huge, but like just ripped. He's got speed. He's got hands. I think he's a great route runner. I mean, this is, this is the type of, kid that is an impact transfer at, at any program and he's coming along at a, obviously a really good time and I think what excites me you know obviously Jalen Naylor being healthy on his own is a big weapon but when you've got a true second receiver like Jaden Reed who's a legitimate threat um, you're gonna have to kind of pick your poison unless you're a team that's so incredibly confident in your uh, secondary like uh, with which might be Ohio State um, you know, maybe in the Big Ten of teams that can really do that. Yeah, uh, you're gonna have to pick your poison between the two of them, and I just have a hard time thinking you're gonna cover both of them and a guy like Trey Mosley, who's proven that he can get open against good corners. So, 
it's a at the very top, it's a really, really good stable. And there's more names to know, too. But but Jaden Reed, John, I didn't know if you wanted to give your two cents on him because I think that's a that's a major, major addition for MSU's passing game. Yeah, this is a guy that um, was completely under the radar as a recruit because no one was willing to give him that that power five offer. He just didn't right. get one. Um, he got, you know, the Mac schools were all courting him. He's an Illinois, Aurora, Illinois from our Wayne's world friends out there <laughs> uh, dated reference. But uh, the reason no one would offer him despite his uh, high school stats was he was five eleven, one fifty five. Like yeah. just, it was, he's very compact um, and looks the part, but then a lot of people had questions on if he could do that on a, on a, on a big 10 stage. And then, you know, he went to Western in 2018 and he had 56 grabs for 800 yards, um, 14 plus yards of catch, eight touchdowns um, and and made the and that was with um, Levante uh, Bellamy on on that Western Michigan team who was seeing a lot of touches and and targets. So this guy was uh, walked down to campus as a true freshman and made a huge market in Kalamazoo. And I think he made a business decision and said, um, I'm going to see if I, I'm going to take a bet on myself, you know, and take a year off knowing I'm going to have to do that and see if I can do this at the next level uh, to pursue um, professional dreams. Now that's way down the line. Um, I'm not inferring that he's an NFL wide receiver, but he certainly, uh, He's, he's betting on himself. And, you know, when you're a true freshman All-American, that means something, you know, that absolutely <laughs> that matters. And uh, we can only hope that this is a guy that, uh, you know, not only catches the ball. This is also a guy like Jalen Naylor, where um, you can you can consider give handing in the ball too to see what he, what he can do as a rusher. He didn't do it too much uh, with Western Michigan, but um with that, I think this is a guy that immediately should get you excited that there's just another playmaker on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's as good of a way as you can can put it, um, just a playmaker. And MSU needs as many of those as they can get. And when you look at this group, that is one thing that you do worry about a little bit. You brought it up with Reed. Size of the three guys that we just listed not a huge strength. Uh, Naylor obviously is, is built a little leaner. Reed, um, while he's jacked, is not the biggest dude in the world. And Trey Mosley, Mosley, not exactly huge. However, there are two more receivers in this group that are that have, uh, call it size for days. Um, the first of them is C.J. Hayes. Now we've heard from him a handful of times in the last two years. He's emerged as, uh, you know, a pretty reliable-ish receiver for for Michigan State. He only ended up with 13 catches a year ago, but played uh, an awful lot. Um, and now he he's going to get a chance. I think he's going to be a borderline borderline starter. But he check, checks in at every bit of six to 200 pounds um, and has shown some pretty good hands. I think he. It's funny when you watch MSU's receivers. He's the one that kind of jumps off the page, and you're like, whoa, that's a that's a bit of a specimen we've got there. Um, and I think he's going to get the opportunity again, you know, you know, Mel Tucker loves size and size and speed. Um, he's going to get that with, with, uh, with CJ Hayes. The other guy though, that's even more size, maybe not as much speed, but even more size 
is Trayvon Morgan, the redshirt freshman. Now, he, he redshirted last year, but Trayvon Morgan is just an enormous individual. Uh, he checks in at six, a legit, a legit six foot six. Um, and again, brings a dynamic that Michigan State just doesn't have. Like that height is, is a legitimate asset especially somewhere like the red zone where Michigan state has uh, floundered, shall we say previously uh, in the red zone. So yeah. to have a six foot six dude, you can lob that ball up to man. What a nice safety blanket for, for someone like a Rocky Lombardi. Absolutely. You know, this is either he or CJ Hayes are going to have to grow up pretty quickly and, mm-hmm. and be a number one big 10 wide receiver um, who it's going to be. We don't know yet. Regardless, I think, like you mentioned, there's a new element in this wide receiver core in the fact that we have a 6'6 guy. Probably the biggest guy I can remember lately is Felton Davis, Mm -hmm. someone you could feel comfortable throwing a jump ball to. But that was a lot because Felton Davis had maybe the best hands um, that we've ever seen from a wide receiver. Sure. Definitely up there. That's for sure. Right. And so but but um, we talked about the shiftiness, the the, um, you know, breakaway home run speed and a couple of these other wide receivers. You know, what you have with Trayvon Morgan is a legitimate problem um, in the end in the red zone for defense. Now, we are not a uh, short corner fade a podcast. No. But But. (laughs) you want to do it. It would be to this guy and this guy only. So um, two different, I guess I would call them wrinkles that we haven't seen at Michigan State in a while um, from this wide receiver core. Just elements that just, you know, for better or worse, haven't been a part of it. That's something I'm excited about for this entire group. Yeah, absolutely. Matchup problems. And that's not necessarily something that, listen, God love Daryl Stewart. God love Cody White. I don't think you had to really game plan. Those are not game plan around type of receivers. And it's by no fault of their own. They just, for everything that they did really well, somebody else could do it better. Neither of them are breakaway speed guys. Neither of them were ironclad hands dudes. Neither of them got open. You know, neither of them were like incredible route runners. They did things well. They just didn't do anything exceptionally. And you look at this year's MSU team, you've got exceptional features. You've got exceptional size. You've got it in in a couple of these guys. You've got exceptional uh, speed in a couple of these guys. Exceptional route running in a couple of them. That all adds up. Like those are the little difference makers that that can make a difference in a game and a season and in the in a year when Michigan State's going to need all the help that they can get, especially offensively, to put points on the board in order to win some games. I mean, those little things are what good coordinators and coaches can use to win you games um and so that's i think to me that's the exciting it's it's not i i I don't want to call it the skill set bland from the last two years but in a way it it was a little bit of a vanilla skill set let's call it let's just say nothing popped yeah i think that's davis Right. Nothing popped. Well, and then Jalen and, and Jalen Naylor. I mean, Jalen uh-huh. Naylor was really the thing that popped for the last handful of years. So it's uh, it's exciting to see that maybe changing a little bit and to seeing some potential, you know, home run type of type of players really at, at all of these skill positions. So uh, a lot of it's up to Rocky Lombardi. Can he be the guy to, you know, bring it all home and, and, and orchestrate? That's really 
ultimately going to be certainly one of the the biggest questions. Another one will be another position group we'll get to uh, later on. But um, there are a few freshmen as well. You have something to say? So I was going to say, you know, there are a couple guys that got reps last year and and we didn't know if the freshmen that are coming in might be um, clawing at their uh, playing time. Well, one, uh, Larice Nelson, the only senior, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, uh, with playing experience in the wide receiver core. And then uh, Javez Alexander. Um, these are two spots, as I mentioned, that if there was somebody as that a true freshman could maybe steal some snaps, it would maybe be from those guys. Um, but take me through the four incoming uh, freshmen of the 2020 class. Yes. So that is one thing that was done very well in this recruiting class was uh, getting plus athletes that can play receiver. Now I will admit two of these guys were recruited as, as athletes, uh, but for all intents and purposes, I believe they've all been playing with the receivers in camp. Now, obviously that could change, but um, it, it's a safe bet that these four guys will at least get a, an extended look at wide receiver. Um, one of the reasons being, actually, before we move on, is because Julian Barnett is now a full-time corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last year he was obviously a, a, a receiver a good amount of the season. Uh, he is no longer over there. I think that's that, if anything, that should reassure you, honestly, as a Michigan State fan, that uh, the position group is in a good place because Julian Barnett's a plus athlete. That's a dude that can play anywhere. Two um, sides to that coin, Austin. Mm-hmm. Though. Two sides to that coin. You can feel good about the wide receivers. We'll get to the cornerbacks, but you you can have questions about that if if that's where they put placed Barnett. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. For all the good things it says about the receivers, it might say equally different things about uh, the corners. But. Um, the other four guys that'll probably have to jump in probably help take some of those those snaps or at least have a good opportunity to are the names are Ian Stewart, Terry Lockett, Ricky White, and Montori Foster. Now it's important to point out that Lockett and White in particular were the two highest rated Michigan State recruits a year ago. Now, obviously we don't get into too much about the stars and all that stuff, but um, when you get plus plus athletes and those are the highlights of your recruiting class that can that can be a big deal um ricky white in particular from georgia is is a super exciting addition uh not to knock Lockett here but white checks in at 6'1 165 and i I think this kid probably had enough offers where if he wanted to go somewhere else he definitely could have so he ended up with 30 total offers i'm just pulling up his list right here but his other biggest offers um, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, Cincinnati, uh, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, no, Utah State, remember them? Wake Forest, West Virginia, uh, and Rutgers. Um, so, you know, listen, not like the greatest list of all lists, but kids still checked in at uh, the number 42 receiver in the country, 6'1 from Marietta. You love to keep that. Uh, posi- that kind of that Georgia pipeline still alive going into uh, a new regime here. And then Terry Lockett, I think, is an interesting one because I believe he wanted to be recruited to play basketball. So he hasn't played a ton of football, but still being from the state of Minnesota, managed to get offers from a ton of, Mich- uh, excuse me, a ton of Big Ten teams. He had offers from Rutgers, Purdue, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, and Cincinnati. That's basically the entire, what, the, the Big Ten West 
plus the other local schools. I mean, if those guys were on him, he had two visits to Minnesota and still chose to go to Michigan State. Um, I think that says a lot about what he thinks about his opportunity in East Lansing. So those are two guys that it wouldn't shock me to see them jump up and play early on. The other two are Ian Stewart and Montori Foster. Uh, Stewart was recruited as a three-star athlete, so he may see time on both sides of the ball. He might be kind of the one of this group that gets a look in two different places because of the guys in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that a really interesting and kind of cool story is Montori Foster. Like Montori Foster is kind of like Terry Lockett. He wanted to be a basketball recruit, but instead – basically started playing football, I believe, as a junior, as a wideout, and was just like an insane athlete, like so good that he ended up, uh, again, getting a good amount of offers from around the country. I want to actually look up what his offer list ended up being, but I don't know if he is necessarily going to be the dude that steals the show this year. I think he's probably a redshirt guy only because he doesn't have a ton of – he doesn't have a ton of experience, but he did check in at 6'2", 175, and has a crazy vertical leap. He comes from St. Edwards, which, fun fact, same school as Delvon Rowe, for those of you who remember Delvon Rowe. But, yeah, he didn't have actually a ton of college offers, just local Ohio uh, Mac offers. But this kid is is kind of seen as, like, one of those wild card commits where it's like, man, if this if the athleticism plays – he could be a real impact dude as a, as a wide out. Um, but it might take him a little bit longer. So I think when you talk about immediate impact, you're probably talking mostly about, uh, Lockett and, um, Lockett and Ricky white. Yeah. Two, two reasons I want to see those guys see the field. One, I just want to say pop drop and lock it. This oh my season. God. Absolutely. And then secondly, Rick and Ricky white is a game changer he uh, is another one of those guys where you should feel really confident if he's on the field because he has that that pop um, that that MSU's uh, skill athletes may have been lacking. He is a kid that is senior year in high school. Um, he had 50, over 1,500 yards receiving, um, almost 100 yards a game average through his entire career receiving and had 19 touchdowns his senior year receiving. I want everyone to really just take a step back and have a hard think about those numbers. When yeah. you when you are in high school, there's not a lot of tossing the ball around. But if you but if you do, and there are schools that can do it. If you do, the defense will at least know that you only have a couple guys at best that you can throw the ball to. Everyone in this in Georgia knew that Ricky White was the go-to guy, and he was still averaging almost over 100 yards per game for his junior and senior years, okay? And and pulled in 19 touchdowns his senior year. Wow. It's well over one a game. You know, that's the fact that this kid is getting, you know, uh, at 103 receptions, I mean, like – they just felt confident enough to line him up and just throw, just find a way to get him the ball. And that's what I'm really excited for. And I wonder if he's a kid that Michigan state has to find a way to get the ball, maybe via punt returns or kickoff yeah. or something like that. Yeah. That's an interesting uh, other thing to consider. I think a lot of these names are probably going to be names you hear about on special teams. I think Jaden Reed uh, and Naylor in particular 
are probably two that will come up um, in that in that opportunity or excuse me, in that area of opportunity. Now, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, Ricky White. I mean, listen, if they just want to get this kid on the field, that might be the perfect place to do it. You might be uh, exactly right because it's it's exciting. I mean, again, these freshmen should really genuinely be pretty fired up because they are coming into an opportunity where they get to write their own story with a group of coaches that have no preconceived notions. So it's it's a big opportunity here. But I think to kind of put a bow on the skill positions, like this is, like you said, John, the, the cupboard is not bare here. Now, if you have, you need a competent coordinator who is going to put people in a position to succeed. If that is going to happen, if Jay Johnson is that guy, then this offense, at least from a skill position perspective, has the chance to score some points. Now, there are so many other things that go into that. I think the offensive line is really the key to this entire thing, because if they are able to run the ball, they have the horses to do it. It's just a matter of if the the horses are going to have enough protection up front. Um, But overall, moving forward, uh, we'll put it this way. Um, Mel Tucker is, is starting for sure from a, from an advantageous position when it comes to the guys that he's inherited at these positions. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. Very exciting. And, you know, we started to think about as we were kind of easing into our season, it helps as we talked about earlier that we were easing into watching college football again, a big slate last week wanted to take you through a couple notable national results uh, because chaos already um, amidst the top of the polls before Feels the big so season. good yeah, so, so good so let's let's start with one of the funnier games of the week Kansas State travels to Oklahoma and takes down boomer sooner 38 to 35 and my reaction Austin that's a shame Oh, you just hate to see it. Um, how great. Like, again, we've made this analogy a couple times, but it's like, it is nice that some things just don't change, you know? Like, that's you can count on certain things to, like, you know, just to, to, to be okay. Like, the world's going to be all right. And Oklahoma losing a completely meaningless um, – not completely meaningless, but like such a completely winnable game just feels so good because this is like, you don't, you should not lose at home to Kansas state. Also knowing that they still don't have a defense makes me feel great because they've got another great young quarterback in Spencer Rattler. I did tune in for some of this game and Rattler, man, he is the run that Oklahoma's on with quarterbacks right now is just insane. Um, and he might be the best of the bunch. Um, but to have them lose to Kansas State at home early in the season just feels so poetically correct. Austin, can I paint the picture quickly for everyone? Going into this know. going into this game, a couple of things. One, Kansas State beat Oklahoma last year. Okay. The this was a game that I would have had to imagine Oklahoma players would have been pretty excited about playing. Mm-hmm. So we'll start there. Number two, Kansas State played a game last week. They lost to Arkansas State. (laughs) Okay? Now, Arkansas State is my favorite team in the state of Arkansas. It's well documented. Yeah. But but I can't you can't have that happen, Kansas State. You can't do it. 
Um, but, but then I want to take it a step further. Kansas State's roster had so many guys that were not able to play because of COVID-19 that that night before the game, Kansas coach Chris Kleeman, uh, yeah, I can't, yeah, sure. he said he said he didn't know if he would have enough players available for all the position groups to play the game. And then Oklahoma got ahead 28 to seven and lost this game. Like it's just awesome. It, like, and the best part about this game is Oklahoma probably legitimately in the middle of the third quarter when they had oh, 99, 98.8% chance to win the game, according to ESPN, thought to themselves, maybe we finally have a defense because it was 28 <laughs> to, to seven in the middle of, with six minutes to go in the third quarter. And they lost 38 to 35. Oof. Tough scene. I mean that. Listen, they have they have lost a lot of bad games. Like in their in their time, like Oklahoma's blown some some stupid games in the Pac-12. I, I gotta think this is right up there with with the worst ones. And like it's a COVID year. We know you know things are kind of weird right now. But like, dude, this is that's that more, is big bad. You want more stats? I do. I Oklahoma out uh, gained Kansas State 517 to 400. But the biggest one that's funny is that Oklahoma had 28 first downs. Kansas State oh had God. 10. 10 first downs. And they lost 38 to 35 because the damnedest part about not giving up first downs is when you do, they go for touchdowns. And that's what Oklahoma's defense does. Oh, <laughs> they scored, just miserable. They scored on what you would call explosive plays um, on more than a couple of occasions. So uh, I just all around hysterical game for so <laughs> many reasons. Uh, it really helped me ease into college football this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Again, it's nice when things are like safe. And predictable. It just it just feels good, you know. Now, Austin, Austin, you said safe and predictable, but I will say that your Big Twelve team, Texas, did mm-hmm. that feel predictable? No, that was pretty bad. Um, yeah, that was uh, what a game. I mean, this is probably one of the first ones. I think I ended up watching the. the I think it was only the end of like the fourth, and then um, kind of the all of the overtimes, and that was. That's just a really bad choke job from Texas Tech. To out choke Texas is is saying quite a bit, in my opinion. Um, yeah, what a day in Austin, Texas, when Oklahoma loses and then you come back and beat Texas Tech sixty three to fifty six in a wild, desperate wild comeback. They, I believe, um, for for what it's worth, ESPN had. Texas Tech up to a 99.9% chance to win this game at a certain point in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and they just they just totally choked it away. If I remember correctly, Texas scored with like under four minutes left, kicked an onside and actually recovered the onside kick and then had to convert a two-point conversion uh, on the last touchdown that they scored, which they I was I was very impressed with like the play call itself was like uh, pretty awesome. 
they had um, they lined like four receivers up on the left hand side and then just ran a slant with the one receiver on the backside. So it's like all up to this one dude. It's like you you throw him this little slant. You cannot drop this because you're so open. But it was just a genius play call and a, and a huge play by Texas. And then they came out like, listen, with no crowd, no nothing. Like they were there like fired up, ready to be locked in in overtime. I mean, their touchdown, I think, in overtime was was pretty relatively easy-ish. Um, and then they locked down Texas Tech, man. They they responded. I was impressed with my Longhorns. But I think it's it, what's kind of funny is, like, you can tell, I, I guess of all the conferences this year with just how weird everything is, I guess it's not surprising and, again, maybe just somewhat comforting that it's the Big 12 that's the weirdest of all of them so far. Like, it just seems very fitting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I I tried to make fun of Bill Bowles be the uh, Big 12 commissioner at least once a weekend. Managed to do that early, check that off the list early after Oklahoma lost. There you go. Beautiful. <laughs> that helped. Felt pretty good. Um, you said your Texas Longhorns, I want you to turn your attention to my Mississippi State Bulldogs. Yes, indeed. Wow. Who in their in the Pirate Mike Leach's first game in uh, Starksville upsets national champion LSU in Tiger Stadium. Now, I don't care if there are fans there. The Pirate did something that many in the SEC would have you know would be impossible to do. And that is throw the ball over 50 times a game against an SEC defense and win. That's that's a thing that, as you know, people have been saying for years, decades, that this is that Leach runs a, a gimmick offense and there's no way that it could work in the SEC. Well, I would have you know that LSU is probably with Alabama, the most talented, at least from uh, sheer talent, yeah, top to bottom talent, uh, def- defense in the uh, SEC. And now, will that turn them into professionals? I don't know that answer, but I can tell you that when when the when the pirate can take KJ Costello, who was a quarterback for Stanford, if you remember. Way back. Turn down Michigan, if you remember correctly. Big Stanford over Michigan. Go ahead. And have a kid, yeah, and have a kid that whose previous high passes in in a game was 44, and that was rare at Stanford. He threw for 623 yards and five touchdowns, which was, by the way, an SEC record in in the Pirates' first SEC game. Yeah. His Unreal. Not even a gunslinger. He's a he is a, by all means a a <laughs> a game manager. And he threw yeah. for six hundred and twenty-three yards. I gotta say, like I, I this one I actually watched the majority of this game. Um and it was it was two things that stood out to me. First is I think I think you might be underselling KJ Costello. Like he he was a big time recruit. And uh, actually was pretty damn good at Stanford, but he just couldn't stay healthy. Um, And he made a very, very smart decision to go follow Mike Leach. Uh, I think he is he's legit. Like, I don't know if he's, you know, first round quarterback type of guy, but I think he's he's good enough to do this to a lot of defenses. Um, 
in the SEC. I think if you can do it to LSU, you can do it to to, to damn near anybody. Um, he looks the part. He's he certainly looks yeah, big he time. Looks the part. He definitely looks the part, and I think it's funny how quickly and and you know who's to say who knows if this will stay like, you know, we don't know if Mike Leach's offense is going to look like this every week. I would assume it probably won't. I will also say LSU was down um, their best defensive back, which is, um, oh God, Derek Stingley Jr., who was uh, freshman All-America. I think he ended up starting on their national championship team last year, which lost a lot of talent. Like, and I say all that to say this. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Like that is still such an impressive win for Mississippi State. Again, even if the stadium, which I think what well, there were fans there, but it was you know all of twenty something percent full. But it, regardless of all of that, I mean Leach's first game in the SEC. It's crazy how quickly the narrative flips from oh gimmick can't do it to is he just like was he just ahead of his time and wow this is what he can do with like real talent because. It, I mean, the kids he's got out there, Mississippi State, you don't think of as this like talent factory necessarily, mm-hmm. but compare it to Texas Tech, compare it to Washington State, mm-hmm. it's another level of athlete, even if it's mid-tier in the SEC. Like, I will say he has an Alabama recruit, uh, an ex-Alabama, excuse me, an Alabama transfer as one of his receivers. So obviously, you know, the talent level is is not totally bare. But it's just a different level than what he's worked with before. And I think it's kind of this this fascinating experiment that, I mean, shit, the first trial run looks pretty good um, to give him real players. Uh, I mean, shoot, when you combine that that system with actual talent, you might. Mississippi State may have stumbled onto an absolutely genius hire. And I think. It'll be interesting because I do think that, you know, when they play in Alabama or maybe another, like a Florida, a Georgia, I'll be very interested to see how it goes there. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't get much better than beating LSU on the road in your That's SEC. Not I mean, like, oh, it's not like he just went and beat Missouri. Yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's like, impressive no matter what. I, I just think it, it almost might end up as one of those, oh, you, you really shouldn't have poked the bear type of thing. <laughs> Where you just made everybody else in the SEC like super nervous about Mississippi State now, but I, it's they're they're not appointment television, but if they're on, I'm I'm certainly going to watch them. It's certainly a blast. And then um, speaking of a blast, uh, my what Miami did to Florida State can only be described as only legal in the state as crazy as Florida because <laughs> this was a 52 to 10 absolute beat down wire to wire and all i could my two takeaways were one holy shit i'm glad we didn't have to play Derek king and miami and number two you had another takeaway because that was the only one that i had <laughs> I, my other is florida state giving up 52 points sounds like they might be missing harlan barnett <laughs> yeah maybe i mean it's possible i, I, I think, think a harlan barnett defense gives up 52 points I wonder at what point you have a very real conversation with Florida State, uh, like in the in the fame department or you know in the prestige department because they've been bad for since Jameis a, a while. Yeah, like like since that, they, 
kind of ever since he threw that stumbling interception against Oregon, it's been really, really bad for them, like legitimately ever, ever since then. And I just wonder at what point, like, I think Florida State will always be a big program. Obviously, I think they're, you know, in terms of history there, they have something very few could ever touch. But like, it's... Let me put it this way. Maybe the mountain is taller than they want to admit. They made a big mistake because they had Jimbo Fisher. Yes, they did. And who took over an impossible job from Bobby Bowden. Almost impossible to take over for a legend. And Jimbo churned out a 10-win, 9-win, 12-win national championship, 14-win season, 13-win, 10-win, 10-win. And then he went seven and he started the season five and six. And they canned him. They ran him. And then what happened? They got a little too big for their britches. And they went five and seven, six and seven, fired Willie Taggart, picked up Mike Norvell. He's 0-2 out of the gate. Like, listen, you had a good thing with Jimbo and you bit off. You got a little too close to the sun. You want a natty. And he's yeah. thought they deserve to win that every year. And that's just not how it works, guys. Is this a – this is a to, – to make it back to the Big Ten, it's a very Nebraska-y situation. Absolutely. Where you – and honestly, it's a very Michigan-y, Brady Hoke-type situation oh, too. Absolutely. Where it's, you think that you deserve something or you expect better. You don't realize how damn good you had it. And I think that's one of the things that Michigan State fans, in a way, were always good about with Mark Antonio is even yeah. during some of the slumping years – no one's calling for his head until maybe last year. Um, and that's 14 People, years in. But like, we you know who you are. I think, I think part of it, people may not have been calling for his head. People respected him enough to say, not fire him, but I think it's time we consider right. other What's opportunities. <laughs> like there was, a, there was a cordial understanding yeah. about the entire thing. I think it's time we consider alternative options. Um, yeah, but I just think there's there is something so beautiful about like self awareness. Like when you're uh, when you're a collegiate football team and and your fan base, like you, I think I think the the consummate example of it is Pitt. Like they know who they are, which is why they're not rushing. You know, despite you know after eight win seasons to replace Pat Narduzzi, like. It, it's just a level of delusion at a certain point by certain fan bases. And Florida State, like, again, it, they've got, like you said, Bobby Bowden's uh, a, a, a coaching Hall of Famer, one of the winningest coaches of all time. And, you know, you, you, you got a little big for your britches and you ran the next guy out of, out of, out of town because he only won one national championship. Let, let, um, let, me, let me, let's just quickly talk about Florida State's schedule. And okay. they got to be, they, they may find themselves – Oh, I don't want to say that anyone's going to pretend to be sick, but they might might call in um, for some paid time off because they did schedule Jacksonville State this week, FCS team. Smart, smart. A team that Michigan State played, I believe. Um, They did, once upon a time, I remember it. And then Florida State heads and plays at Notre Dame and then versus North Carolina. And because Florida State dropped that first game against your Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 16 to 13, they're, yes. they are going to be one and four as they head into Louisville um, and then play Pitt, who's three and oh. Like, it's, by the way, who's else on the schedule? Clemson. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not, they're not going, 
they're not going to have a winning record this year. Yeah, like it's not getting better. <laughs> I think nope. that's fair to say. Not at all. So Harlan, welcome back. Um, yeah, we're, sure we're thrilled to have you. Sure, we don't miss it. Hey, um, we got a really good tweet at us this weekend. So thank you, Matt Wiggins. Because while there were no Big Ten games on TV, there were a few Big Ten in spirit games. And so we have a new segment, uh, the spiritually big game of the week. And this week it goes to Texas A&M and your Jimbo Fisher and Vanderbilt, who finished a football game 17 to 12. Mm. And I'll be honest. I didn't watch it live, but the box score is delicious. Uh, when when you have Texas A&M, who, as I like to remind everybody, already created a national championship trophy that they have in their trophy case just with the years uh, not yet ingrained on it, uh, with Jimbo Fisher's name ingrained. They haven't won anything. And they've uh, already put it, it in their case, waiting for the day that when it comes, I guess, question mark? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that, um, but everything is national championship or bust for them. And yep. going and playing a really, really bad Vanderbilt team and only winning 17 to 12, um, not good. Ominous. It, this was supposed to be a tune-up, Austin, for their game against Alabama this week, and they didn't hmm. anything but tune up. This was a someone learning how to drive clutch for the first time situation <laughs> for a and uh, Yeah, it was bad, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, they. I'm, I'm looking, pulling up the box score right now because it was, it was pretty funny. Well, I think Vanderbilt has a handful of – they have some very Big Ten tendencies where Absolutely. it just – they have some very, like, Northwest they're, – they're the Northwestern of the South, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's fair. Kellen Mond is not the uh, quarterback that Texas A&M fans were hoping he'd take the next step with. He's aver- he had 17 for 28 for only 189 yards. Frankly, mm. that's hard to do. Like to have it's not a lot to throw for about six yards uh, per per completion. Um, and then we had five turnovers in this game. Vanderbilt threw for 150 total yards, like Hell yeah. two picks. I mean, it was overall. Yeah, Vanderbilt had 255 yards total. Like just Texas A&M had eight penalties. I mean, Love like, it. all all the way around. I think this game was seven to five at one point. It was. Uh, that's when it became. Which I think that's the most Big Ten part of this this whole thing. I have one uh, honorary. Big Ten moment, which happened in um, the professional ranks, actually. It was the uh, Eagles and the Bengals this week. Well, first of all, they tied. So that just feels remarkably big Big Ten, although impossible in the Big Ten. If there was one conference that was going to make it possible, it would be the Big Ten. Um, But the really Big Ten part of this is that the the way it ended up in a tie, I don't know if you saw this, was was incredible. Like, it, it was right out of like the Brett Bielema playbook where, okay, so uh, Philadelphia has a really good kicker in Jake Elliott. He had made two or three really long field goals in this game. It was 23-23, so he kicked three field goals already. Um, and they had the ball on with very little time left in overtime on Cincinnati's, I want to call it 45 or so. So they had lined up 
first down. It's first down. And they would be kicking a 59-yarder for the win. They run three basically quarterback dives, end up with a 59-yarder for the win. False start. Yes. Pushes it back to the 60 to a 64-yard field goal attempt, which is with like seven seconds left. So they didn't even run enough time off the clock to make it so that this would be the last play of the game no matter what. And so it's it's only that amount of time left. And instead of even attempting the field goal or running around trying a Hail Mary, Doug Peterson punted the ball. Hell a punt yeah. to protect the tie. I'm, I, I don't know if it gets – it doesn't, actually. It does not get more Big Ten than a punt to protect a tie. I, I, my heart is fluttering. I yeah, I know. <laughs> I was lightheaded. When I, watched the, when I watched the punter run out, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's actually going to do it. it was, <laughs> I was so – I've never been more excited for a punt in my entire life. It was really pretty remarkable. Dude, that is amazing. Okay, so – um, thank you again, Matt Wiggins, for bringing this segment uh, to the pod. Looking forward to it every uh, week. One final one, bonus one, if we're going <laughs> to, you got to do an NFL one. Mm-hmm. Did, you see the end, did you see the end of the Patriots uh, Seahawks game? I did not. Okay, so Patriots need to score a touchdown to win. They're on the two yard, on the two yard line. And the obvious play call for all of us in Big Ten country is to run the ball with Cam Newton in in some type of power eye, you know, shotgun follow two blockers into a mass offense. And by God damn it, Austin, they did. <laughs> they used Cam Newton in his Auburn offense, and he didn't get the touchdown. But I stood there like the 60-year-old man that I am inside with both arms crossed, nodding my head, yes. As yes. As even though you lost, that was the correct decision, and this was mine. <laughs> you go down with the ship at that point. I I respect that. Yep, they don't like why run a pass play. Why run any play that Cam could at least like if it's broken, you know, have passing options? No, no. Bill no. Belichick went full Big Ten, and I just couldn't get it. Bill's wanted to be a Big Ten coach his, his entire life. Um, People are saying that he might be uh, Mel Tucker's replacement after Mel wins a national championship. Well, it's true. I, you know, I've heard the same thing. Um, people oh. are also saying if Kirk Ferentz gets bought out, you know, the natural connection there would sure. uh, make sure. a lot of sense. Um, uh, quick, quick notable upcoming games. Only a few weeks to go, um, listeners, as we – barrel towards Big Ten football where we can talk a lot more in depth in which we enjoy quite a bit. I mentioned Texas A&M heading to Alabama this week, a big game, but the game that I've circled as a lot of fun will be Auburn at Georgia. Georgia had a really bummer first half against Missouri, but then really looked down at their jerseys and realized they were much better. (laughs) Yeah, wait a minute. (laughs) Auburn is, uh, was many picked to be upset as like a kind of a sexy upset pick for Kentucky to beat them. Auburn took care of things. Bo Nix is still that dude. And I think this top 10 matchup will be a blast this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Georgia starting uh, last week, if you guys remember, former Michigan State commit at one point, Dewan Mathis at quarterback. Um, didn't right. end up coming to MSU, ended up committing to Ohio State, and then ultimately Georgia didn't really impress 
uh, in that game, uh, JT Daniels, the USC transfer, uh, has ended up uh, being cleared. I think he had a little injury um, and is now going to be the starting quarterback for uh, Georgia moving forward. So uh, it'll that'll be really interesting to see how they how they do there um, at quarterback. That'll probably be the thing that I'll be I'll be watching the most in terms of um, what's going to come out of this game. But yeah, Georgia Georgia also did not end up doing all that well like you said last week. So big, big bounce back game for them. Yeah. Not a lot of their other big ones on the schedule, but one I would have you, I always give you guys the uh, undercard to keep an eye on. And that's Memphis at SMU, two really fun teams, uh, both undefeated. And uh, this is a game where um, if we were to have a traditional season, uh, I think these two would be the front runners for that um, non-power five slot and the New Year's six bowls. So um, that one should be fun. I'm hoping there are not a lot of cancellations this week. I should note that as of right now, and this is Tuesday night, uh, I believe that there have been 79 games with an FBS team and 25 games that have been postponed or canceled. So um, I don't know, man. I hope I hope we can keep going. It's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah, I mean, but um, – you know, we will we will uh, keep we'll keep a track on it. Yes, sir. Um, hey, segment. Do you want to tease it? Yes, we have a new segment coming up after the break. It's uh, we're going for relatability here, so it's the non-sports highlight of the week. We'll bring it to you right after this break. I think. Do you hear that? Sh- that noise? That noise? The shaking? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. No, you hear noise right now? Yeah, the one that it, we were like, it sounds like you're like rubbing your hands like this. Oh, no. Has it been like that the whole time? Yeah, kind of. It's like oh, something. Dude, it could just be my headphones. I mean, I have these different yeah, headphones in this. Time. Oh, man, I wish you would have told me. It's going to sound like shit. Well, that's the slinky noise. Oh, boy. Okay, hold on. Let me unplug it. We're leaving all this in. <laughs> How's the commercial break going? Should we start it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll start now. Um, okay, great. Uh, and we're back, I think. <laughs> um, all right. So, guys, it's not all it's not all sports in our households. We do other stuff, and we thought it would be fun to, to tell you guys about some of those things. So, um, John, it's the non-sports highlight of the week. What do you got? Okay. So I appreciate that I am maybe 15 years late to the game, but I get the YouTube hype, man. I, I get the YouTube He's hype. In. <laughs> I, I had never really found myself poking around, but let me tell you, Twitter, take a back seat. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. This thing is awesome. So, um, 
yeah, I, I am just, I, I found some cool channels. This one was called all gas, no breaks. And this kid is just hysterical going to really like wild places, interviewing really dumb people. And I just, I'm in on YouTube, dude. So I, I'm here to say it. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I think you're, you're, first of all, I'm proud of you. I think your, your potential future children will, um, probably immediately think you're cooler because of this, but you're, uh, you're in what's, what's next. I mean, how soon are you going to go down like the old recorded Alex Jones rabbit hole? Uh, I don't think I'm going to go that far. I mean, no. I will say if you're going to go down a rabbit hole, Austin, um, Andy H R the goat, the absolute goat, um, has dozens, maybe a hundred classic MSU football and basketball, not just games, but like cuts. So it's just like super cuts and like, I just can't recommend it enough. It's, it's, it's freaking awesome. So I'm glad you shouted him out because he is the man. I have no idea who he is, what he does, where he came from, but I can tell you that in in days that have been slower at work for the past handful of years, I have gone down that exact rabbit hole many, many, many times and like gotten choked up at my desk a few times watching like Rose Bowl highlights or the final four, like the, the Corey Lucius shot and that game, like there's some incredible stuff there. And uh, yeah, listen, we're all looking for sources of entertainment and things while we're stuck in our homes, just spending a lot more time in our homes. Certainly it is worth every single, uh, every single minute to watch some of those videos when you are, when you're looking for something to do. So I totally agree with that. Maybe I'm a YouTube guy now too. <laughs> Dude, get on the, this bandwagon. It's, it's leaving soon. Not a lot of people on this YouTube bandwagon. But... That's what I've heard. Uh, what do you think's next? Are you going to get into K-pop? Yeah, uh, I was thinking about checking out this, uh, this website called Google. Uh, heard good things, heard they're doing some big things with their, with their email. So I'm going to give that a shot next. Yeah. yeah. You know what I, I'll advise you against is TikTok because I just don't know that you're, you're personally ready for, for what's coming with that. Feels like a big step. Did you have a highlight of the week? I had a couple. Um, the first is that yesterday was, uh, Yom Kippur. Now I'm, I'm not Jewish, but my fiance is. And so oh. I, Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. 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 That also happened. Uh, Threw that out on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Very exciting times. Um, Lovely. I couldn't be happier. But flex that you had enough money to buy. (laughs) That is awesome. It's true. It's true. It was edible, but that's not. (laughs) I read that that was an option. So I went with it and it was delicious. Um, but yeah, obviously pretty, pretty dope times. Uh, but yeah, so yesterday was, was Yom Kippur and I gotta tell you the spread remarkable. The, the, the food that was featured at this spread was just, just really just incredible. Like the bagel, the cream cheese, the lox, all the dinners, like, oh my God, just all my favorite foods that I just didn't realize, I guess, were, were Jewish dishes until I was introduced to my lovely bride to be. Um, and let me tell you what a, what a wonderful revelation. So that was probably my, I think the real highlight is that I didn't fast. And apparently this holiday involves uh, quite a bit of not eating 
which I was honest, Austin, you seem to be enjoying the best parts in the oh, worst yeah. parts of this holiday. 100%. 100%. No, I'm, I'm cashing in on all the good things. There's, there's, there's no question. Um, Amazing. But it's been great. Yeah, so that was great. And another thing that I did, which I, in, in a strange way, ties into your YouTube thing a little bit, is I watched the first Harry Potter movie for the first time in, in many years, uh, all the way through, because, again, my fiance, I don't know if she had ever actually watched the movie, and I read all the books, loved the movies, all that good stuff. And uh, it was just so nice. It was so wholesome. Like, <laughs> so I, I I just like it. It was so just refreshing to watch something that's like, oh, everyone's just, you know, yeah, there's some some trials and tribulations and strange sure. things. But all in all, like what a what a lovely film. Like just, awesome. just, it's just really nice. That's how I felt about the movie Peanut Butter Falcon. I sat That's there, I smiled for the 90 minutes, and when it was over, I was like, I needed that. That was good. That was good. Um, the way that that ties into your YouTube thing, though, is that there is actually a, and this is going to sound so weird, but if you're if you like weird humor, you got to watch it. it. It is literally so. It's called. Um, Wizard People, Dear Reader. Now, this video or series of videos is, I'm going to say conservatively 10 years old. So we're talking early. Yes, John, it's been around that long. Um, but YouTube, uh, yeah, about 10 years old. And what it is, is a guy. And he is watching Harry Potter. Sure. The first movie. And what's happening in this his YouTube uh, videos is he is narrating his version movie no uh, it, it is it is absolutely spectacular and his his storylines are they include the fact that harry is an alcoholic uh, <laughs> ron has 37 brothers and sisters all of whom are either uh employees uh students or professors at hogwarts <laughs> and snape is a woman uh that's just like the the tip of the iceberg what i found when i was watching the movie is that all i could think of was his storylines as i was watching the actual like film so i'm sitting there like laughing at stuff that's like not jokes it's just like scenic shots and i'm remembering the dumb shit that this guy said in these videos and man i gotta tell you again if you got the literal length of the film time to spare Go go down that rabbit hole as well on YouTube because it is it is it's truly like an impressive piece of of film on his part. Like the fact that he's he's been to, to doing it. He narrates an entire film. He talks for like two hours. It's can, it's really unbelievable. Can I take that piece of information and segue it into a final thought for today's podcast? One, absolutely. I would love that. So we're going to skip hoops today, friends, because we've been. We realize we've been here for a little while, so yeah. more, more hoops, more hoops for next pod. Uh, but, but you know, we talked about for a while about um, putting our own narration on Michigan State football games, and Indeed. I think this, Indeed. you know, with the pandemic, this might be the year where um, you and I stream, and we'd ask you listeners to feel free to join us as we uh, 
make make our own narration on on the game we're watching. <laughs> really Sometimes it's different than what's actually happening in the game, much like your example. Yeah. Well, Guys, we didn't plan that. What just happened on this podcast and that just that moment right there, completely unplanned. I gotta say, it was uh, that was that was uh, pretty impressive. Some that's some why that's why Vox Media pays us the little bucks. The, so. the partial bucks. Um, yeah, but I think that's a that's a great point, great idea, and and you know we were gonna sim all the games, but guess what? We don't have to anymore. Um, so obviously, very exciting stuff there, John. Like you said, we're gonna save some hoops for next week, but uh any anything else before we wrap up i'm spent this was fun (laughs) he's done (laughs) all right guys well as always thank you guys for sticking with us and tuning in for john this has been austin and i will catch we will catch you guys next week see